0: Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit you instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. morning. It's a new place. (laughs) So, in the summer of 1965, I found myself at the Newport Folk Festival. And in those days, we folk singers were purists. (laughs) Acoustic guitars only. Thank you very much. So imagine sitting there on that rainy Rhode Island evening, waiting for the prince of the folk scene to begin the Saturday evening set. And out strolls the crown prince of folk music, Bob Dylan. (laughs) Wailing on an electric guitar. People booed, they cheered. It was raining. The guy sitting next to me, I don't know who he was, had Ritz crackers and mayonnaise, and he was throwing them at the stage, and they'd land on people's slickers and just kind of dripped. It was disgusting. (laughs) Anyway, it was as radical as Jesus teaching. Tradition was being challenged, and you know how that goes. He launched his electric set with the title song of the album, Highway 61 with these opening lyrics. <clears throat> God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. <laughs> Abe said, where do you want this killing done? God said, out on Highway 61. Well, that's probably all I knew about the Genesis reading way back then. The lyrics echoed in my mind as I'm reading the story about the test of Abraham. This is the first time in the Bible that the word test is used as a verb. Go kill your son as a sacrifice, really? Culturally back then, this request was not as horrific as it sounds today. 400 years after this event, God forbade any type of human sacrifice. Notice that God says, your only son. Even though in last week's reading, we learned about Hagar being banished with Abraham's other son, Ishmael, who lived and married an Egyptian woman. Okay, so God says, go to Moriah which apparently is Jerusalem, if 2 Chronicles chapter 3.11 is correct. And I love that Abraham's answer to God's call is what? Here I am. And then God asks the unthinkable, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. And without question, Abraham sets out with little Isaac, What? Now, throughout Genesis, Abraham was very vocal with God, asking questions, participating in God's plan, pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. But here, not a word. And little Isaac is old enough to carry the wood. He's aware enough to ask the question, where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham's answer, would we say this? God will provide. Now, you know things had to look a little bleak when Abraham set up the altar, bound his son, and laid him on it, raising the knife above his body. Yikes! I'm reminded of last week's gospel reading that says, whoever loves his son or daughter more than me, So this is as much an illustration of Isaac's faith as it is Abraham's. He willingly submits to his father. Both of them feared God in the sense that they both listened to and believed his word fully and absolutely and obeyed whatever was asked of them. When the ram, and the Hebrew is the other ram, appeared, I wonder if it was an answer to prayer. But Abraham's focus is always on God here. He names the place God will provide. Not Abraham believed or Isaac was saved or, you know, Abraham obeyed. God will provide. Following God can be life-shaking, traumatic, demanding more Of us than we could ever imagine. Being a Christian is not meant to be easy. No one who reads the gospel can think otherwise. In the next chapter, Sarah, who also remained silent throughout all of this, dies. I wonder if it was all just too much for her. For Abraham was ready to deliver their son to God and In doing so, he passed the test. The idea of a test was that the test would have the effect of changing the person to become closer to what God intended him or her to be. Abraham wasn't the same after the test. To pass the test, he had to trust and value God above all else. God didn't stop the test until the knife was raised. The very instant that Abraham made the decision to go through with it. And as a result, the history of the world changed. There was a greater purpose. Something bigger was going on. This glimpse of how God orchestrates history with personal changes that lead to huge changes in the future, is mirrored in our own lives every time we wholly, fully, and in awe say yes to God no matter what. Our lives are not dissimilar to Abraham's, granted without the specter of human sacrifice, and we don't have to father nations, or do we? But we are on a similar journey of transformation, changing into a little bit more of what God intends us to be as we struggle through the tests of our own lives. Here we are, 4,000 years later, and God is still asking each of us as individuals to present ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice and in return we receive something far greater and more wonderful than we can ever imagine. The reading from Romans today says it pretty clearly, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life like Isaac and present your members as to God as instruments Of righteousness. We are to become what we are now free to become, living members of our Savior Jesus Christ. We cannot fully grasp what it means to be in a mystical union with Christ, but we can fully know that we are. We are the living children. We are the children of the living God, and we live in an ocean of grace. No one can change that fact. And as Paul tells us here in Romans, we live in grace, and as such, we are called to live in obedience to Him. Now, living in obedience means we become the living proof of His saving grace. And it's not just obedient. Look at the verses again. It says, obedient from the heart. Jesus often talks heart religion. Let not your hearts be troubled. Blessed are the pure in heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We are to be obedient from the heart not just know it in our heads this then is a journey not just of transformation but one of sanctification big word comes from the greek the root greek word hagios which means holy set apart for god that is what we are because he has set us free from sin and has set us on this journey to holiness. And let's not get hung up on the word sin, narrowing its real meaning. As defined in the Catechism, in the Book of Common Prayer on page 848, sin is defined as the seeking of our own will instead of the will of God, thus distorting our relationship with God, with other people, and with all creation. Seeking our own will instead of the will of God. Now, that is a temptation that I believe I succumb to all the time, and you may also, I don't know. How do we resist that sin? God will provide. We have been given the means to resist temptation, that is sin, the God-given means we've been given. First, he's made us a new creation. We have a new nature in Christ. In baptism, we are marked as Christ's own forever. Nothing can take that away. We are a royal priesthood, and we are to live as such. Secondly, we have the Holy Scriptures. Jesus countered each one of his temptations with Scripture. So we can be proactive in our defense here. We can read and study and wrestle with Scripture, commit verses to memory to guard and protect ourselves. We can do Ephesians 6 and put on the whole armor of God. And another great gift that we have been given is the book of common prayer. As Episcopalians, we embrace the book of common prayer because of our belief that all prayers should be common. It doesn't mean plain. It means common for everyone. Rich, poor, old, young, clergy, congregant. It doesn't matter. These are our common prayers. And our prayers are repeated So we know them by heart. And that roots us deeply and shapes everything we say and do. We are what we pray. And I love that God actually teaches us to pray. Prayer comes from him. What I mean by that is that all life is in the hands of God. Even the desire to pray. Joan Chittister, she's a Benedictine sister, explains it this way, quote, Our ability to pray depends on the power and the grace of God in our lives. That just blows me away. Our ability to even pray depends on his power and his grace. So we are not even the authors of our own prayers. God is Moving in our souls when we are moved to pray. By no virtue of our own, but by his goodness, do our hearts pray to him. And if prayer really is the work of God in us, and I believe it is, then it demands our full attention. At staff meeting a few weeks ago, Father Peter had each of us set our alarm to 11.02 a.m. Why? We ask petulantly. And we find because it's cha- Luke chapter 11, verse 2, where we find Christ's answer to his disciples' plea, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So now daily, at 1102, it's the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. Now the prayers that formed Christ are the Psalms. They are the foundation of his relationship with God. And the whole book of Psalms is included in our Book of Common Prayer. That is not an accident, a coincidence, and it's not surprising. Because in the Psalms, we see the struggles of God's people up close and personal. And as we are God's people, these are our struggles too. Raw emotions, crises of faith have been poured into these psalms. Our hopes, our dreams, our greatest fears and frustrations, our struggles and our victories and our walk with God laid out right there in the psalms. So we say the psalms together every week. They are that important. And many of the psalms, like today's, begin in crisis. Check it out. It begins with, How long, O Lord? Oh, have I prayed that? But they end with, I will praise the name of the Lord Most High. And in the New Living Translation, I fell in love with verse three, which sounds like this Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. He restores the sparkle to our eyes. To be transformed into a little more of who he made us to be, like Abraham. To turn from sin and to be restored to his favor, as Paul guides us in Romans. To be able to cry out to him and know that he hears us, and we hear his answers as in the Psalms. Will these comprise the fabric of our life in grace? God will provide indeed. Please join me by praying the prayer of self-dedication found in the Book of Common Prayer on page 832. 832 in the Book of Common Prayer. The Prayer for Self-Dedication, found on page 832. Almighty and eternal God, so So draw our hearts to Thee, so guide our minds, so So fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly Thine, utterly dedicated unto Thee, and then use us, we pray Thee, as Thou wilt, and always to Thy glory and the welfare of Thy people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.